0: Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds comic podcast, episode number 46. I'm Ryan, and I'm joined by another nerd, Carissa. Hello. Together, we take on this week's comics. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, go read the week's book, and then come on back. Each week, one of us picks our favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to saga number 37. Our companion song for Saga is Little Lies by Fleetwood Mac. Mainly because of Lioncat, who is one of my favorite characters in all of comics, so when I saw his return, I, I thought of that. And it also kind of reminds me a little bit of the relationship between Marco and Alana. If I could- Our, our pick is Saga number 37 from Image Comics, uh, as always, written by Brian K. Vaughn and art by Fiona Staples, and this is a return to, to form. This is amazing, <laughs> like every issue of Saga is. It's just yeah. a complete visual treat to watch, along with some things where you turn the page and you're like, oh, I was not expecting that, but you know, maybe at this point I should be expecting yeah. that. <laughs> so this is kind of a jump forward a little bit in time. Not as much as the previous arc, but it seems like they've jumped ahead a a little bit. So they're on their little spaceship thing.
1: Yes, because Her wings look different now.
0: Yeah, I think she's a little bit older. Yeah. So they're on their wooden spaceship thing traveling through space. I like the line here where it opens up with families are like goddamn wildfires. They start small but watch them grow.
1: I also like the other one where she's like anyone told you that Oh,
0: getting there is half the
1: fun? <laughs> they're a bunch of assholes.
0: <laughs> I was thinking about you and your trip this week when yeah. I read that actually. I like the little insights they have here in the write-up.
1: Hazel's point of view.
0: Yeah. Yes. Which, I mean, when you first start reading Saga, you don't realize that it's from Hazel's point of view, because she's not even in, introduced until, I think, like, the second arc. Yeah. Alana is pregnant, and they haven't told Hazel yet, you know, because she's just, you know, settling back into the family, so they are they don't want to rock the boat too much, but they kind of need to prepare her for what's going to happen. So you get some nice little conversations with them over the, uh, you know, their sleeping child, watching them snore and drool like a sweet little angel, <laughs> which I don't know if you ever watch kids sleep. Kids sleeping is, like, the most peaceful thing Thing ever. I'm like
1: enthralled by watching my son sleep.
0: So then after all this character building stuff, I kind of flip the page and that's where I see some stuff I didn't expect to
1: see.
0: <laughs> I actually have to compliment them on using the image of like the rocket ship and the robot penis. Then
1: <laughs> the next panel right next to it, you're like, oh, well, that's a thing. <laughs>
0: yeah. So uh, Prince Robot, I guess he's not Prince anymore, but he is trying to hand start the robot love machine, I guess you might say.
1: He's jerking off, masturbating. Yeah, pretty you know, much. All those, other, all those other words.
0: So you can see on his broken TV screen, like, all his thoughts, basically. So he's having, like, thoughts, but they keep jumping to kind of, like, disturbing things. That's so making his job a little bit harder. And then at the end of his little robot sex fantasy, the woman turns her head back to look at him, and it's Alana, which totally freaks him out. He sits up, he's all disturbed, because he, you know, he doesn't like them, but clearly there's there's something there going on. A lot of the times, those two emotions are really closely tied to each other, that intense feeling one way or the other towards someone. I thought that was kind of interesting and kind of takes them on a little different arc here. So then you have kind of an interaction between trans person they picked up at the prison and the little ghost girl talking about how she wants Hazel to keep her secret and, you know, don't worry, Hazel's had to hide her body for so long. She knows how important discretion is and they start going back a little bit and then you find out what her t-shirt is, which is the band Pyrosis which I guess is, in their world, a really big deal. They're arguing and not getting along at all. And then she mentions that she wears that T-shirt because she went to one of their concerts right before she died, and then they're like, you know, oh my god, you're a fan of that band too? You were alive when they were still around. So that's true. They could be like a really old band from the equivalent of like the... 60s or something you know like having seen like the beatles when they were on tour or something
1: there's a couple really strong where she says i don't really care what someone's sex is from the waist down
0: oh yeah where she points to her blown away lower half
1: trans Mooney, she also wishes to have Alanaf go out of an airlock so
0: well yeah because i mean there's this war that's been going on between the races forever
1: it's important to note that aside that you know even though she's their hostess and protecting them she still wishes them
0: harm or her, at least her also helps to illustrate just how unique marco and alana are that they've been able to overcome those really deep ingrained prejudices and just how violently the rest of the world reacts to them. Even people you might expect to be sympathetic to them are not necessarily so. She's grateful that they rescued her, but she doesn't like them at all. She basically just wants to use them to get to the next place and get the hell out of there. They're running out of fuel, and they have to stop on this. There's no planets anywhere near them, but there's this comet that's going to be passing them soon that they'll be able to land on. And this comet is like a little mini-world with all kinds of like refugees from every, every part of the world, so there's all kinds of factions and conflict on this planet and it has tons of resources like mineral resources and their equivalent of oil and what have you so of course the two the horns and the wings I'm sure they have actual names, but I don't remember what the names of the two races are. But their heads in to gain control of the resources and turn this kind of like local squabble into a war that drags on for decades. You get some pretty epic panels here of some violence going on in the war. It looks like a dinosaur gets its head cut off and someone gets a magical sword shoved through their face. Fiona Staples can draw some really amazing scenes. She is probably one of the best artists working now. And the fact that she does everything on this, so she does the inking, the pencils, the color and they're all spectacular. Like, you don't look at her art and be like, oh, she really should have used a colorist or, you know, something like that.
1: But that's also why we wait so long.
0: Yeah, once they get their art launched, it usually comes about every month, but then you have to wait for them to actually do the next one. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind waiting because I think it lets them recharge their creative batteries too, that they're not locked into having to put out a book that they can take three months or four months or whatever and think about it and plan it and, and do it the right way. It is a little annoying, but of the 37 issues of Saga we've got, I don't think you could point the one that wasn't spectacular. We also get to see, like I said, the return of Lion Cat, who's such a great character. I'm so glad that he's back. So that little girl that they rescued from the brothel when she was like four or five years old, she's much older now. I say much older. She's all of ten, but she's mm. very grown up, and she wants to become like an assassin's apprentice so she can go after these people, which are Marco and Alana. She wants
1: to pick up where the will I left off.
0: Yes, and also because as it Gwendolyn has been wronged by Marco in her opinion, and she wants vengeance on him, so. This girl idolizes her, so she wants to carry that through. And then you get some nice little dialogue with them with Lion Cat... Whenever somebody starts saying something that's not true, like her saying she doesn't miss her family or her planet, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a lie, or the reasons why she can't pick up any extra job, Lion Cat is such a great little addition.
1: I like where when puts her staff into Lion Cat, he's like, ah, and then she's like, take a walk, cat.
0: I love the eyes that he gives her. Those are like cat murder eyes. So they land the rocket ship on the asteroid, and Prince Robot is going to go out there and check it out, and that's when the trans woman they picked up, who is a soldier that there's no reason for him to go first grabs his sword pretty badass and heads out there to check out what's out there and meets the most adorable little shirt tails creature is so so cute it's like i don't know what kind of animal that is
1: i thought it was a sloth but it's not like a shrew maybe
0: right is
1: meerkat
0: maybe a meerkat panda otter i don't know meerkat just adorable though and he's got his little shirt on and he asks him if they're missionaries because like who else would be on this planet? this like wrecked out war zone you know he's really happy to see them they have food and he wants to know how much food they have if they have enough for his family and that's when you see it's not just him but there's like 10 other of these little creatures with their little shirts on that are also in this wreckage so i don't know if they're going to be like gus and be super adorable but also kind of badass or if they're going to be one of those where we look cute but we're actually terrible I, i'm not sure they seem pretty darn cute though yeah. and that, that kind of melted my heart i'm not i'm not usually a big sucker for cute but oh man they just they really they Really do it there. Those dark eyes make his eyes look so much bigger, which you know makes you think of a child. Which is why Disney does all that stuff with those crazy big eyes. Uh-huh. So just really good character design, really touching. I liked the story. Had action, moved the plot forward. Had good interpersonal stuff. You got to see a little more of the world. I just, I really enjoyed this on every level. I'm, I'm so glad that Saga is back.
1: I love Saga. No secret that I love Brian K. Vaughn's work. It's really cute. I felt it really started going back to the origins and like, feel and story of, like, the original arc, I think. Right. Like, touching on a lot of those notes. The robot penis was a bit of a shock, but it was kind (laughs) of like, sure, okay, I'll
0: roll with it. It it Um, was a very artistically done (laughs) robot penis.
1: So I'm wondering where that is going to go, like, if he's going to start, like, obsessing on her or something and cause them more strife because they already have enough of course um, i mean their
0: relationship rain has to fall into it you know it's not yeah. an easy one they're they're star-crossed lovers for sure
1: and then the whole like they were saying how they're not sure if well marco keeps on bringing up the idea that he's worried that the baby won't be healthy the second this second one and alana is like well but look at hazel she's like sturdy and he's like well maybe we won't be so lucky so i'm just worried since it's only hazel's point of view right i'm like worried like the foreshadowing of well, something horrible happens you know right.
0: well and she also brings up a good point that it might mm-hmm. be those two groups have lied about what happens to their offspring, you know, if you yeah. like intermarry to discourage people from, from doing it. So this is like the first test case.
1: Yeah, that was a good point but I'm still like worried just for my own readership-wise because I don't want to see all those things happen.
0: I, well, they probably like <laughs> they can add in a lot of drama there with like is the baby okay? Is the baby not okay? So yeah. it was it was good. I think I gave it four and a half pyrosis.
1: I gave it... Four and a half. I don't care what they have from the waist down.
0: So moving off still in space, but in Marvel space.
1: Guardians of the Galaxy, number 11. Marvel Comics, written Brian Michael Bendis. Pencils by Valerio Schiti, and colors by Richard Isenova. Ne- no I pick Guardians all the time. you think I'd have those names down by now. <laughs> but also, yeah, this week was a good week for me. I had a lot of things that I wanted to... Uh, read so we start off on the planet that they liberated ben the thing has this prisoner chick like he's trying to tell her he'll be back for her and i'm not sure what this is a reference to if i should know what it means but drax and Gamora start saying that he's part of a Gareth Union, and they mentioned a few times throughout the issue. Like, and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to know what that is. If it's a, this, is where you need Matt. So if it came <laughs> up before in a comic, he would know what that was.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, clearly it's like some kind of like bond that their race have, you know, yeah. which makes Ben super sad to be away from her.
1: He's, you know, all gooey, not listening to them as they're trying to hold a vote whether or not they're going to take Carol's call to go back to Earth, right? And so everyone's like debating, da 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 And one of my favorite ones was, uh, my favorite panels was rocket going I'm, I'm paraphrasing i'm not quoting half of y'all are from earth and you're out here with me and you goobers live on earth and you're out here with me and and i ain't no picnic earth must suck <laughs> 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 i'm like that's hilarious i love rocket
0: yeah he's pretty funny i liked him in this one and in the other book we're gonna read
1: i, I can't wait to get that that one was great and so basically but then like angela is basically pulling her whole as guardian deity thing thinking like oh but i've spoken we are going kind of thing and they're like no 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 we're voting and she. <laughs> She doesn't get it and then i like when drax is like i'm oblivion he's like cutting the jenga with like a dagger i don't know what he's doing on that panel yeah because they're
0: all sitting around playing Jenga while they're
1: Ben doesn't want to go and he makes a light reference to the previous civil war arc as one of the reasons why he doesn't want to get he's saying basically stark is a friend of his he's not really excited to go digging into another superhero versus superhero confrontation right because that's the reason why he, did, he left in the first place and then drax makes the obvious point where it's like i was under the impression that Davin and stark were friends and basically going okay well we're going and you know rocket's like okay you guys well then we get to the prelude of peter trying to hit on <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh i love this remind me a lot of Lion cat actually where he's going up to her and like can i talk to you in private and she's like no whatever you want to say you can say right here and he's like no no i really want to say it in private and then yeah. angela's like he's trying to sleep with you go to his room
1: yeah she's like oh yeah he's trying to lure you into his quarters for carnal copulation <laughs> thanks angela you're welcome <laughs> angela's talking and she She's being her whole thing. Oh, you saved me. I'm in debt. And Groot... Grew- little panel where Groot's like oh the love and he's trying to give her a little flower hug and she's like don't, <laughs> don't
0: touch me, me. She <laughs> totally disses at me he's like I like when he backs off he's got his little hands up like okay yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Aw, even though I don't like the the way this Groot's drawn I was like oh, don't diss Groot he's just giving <laughs> you the flowery love
0: yeah but Angela's having none of that
1: so then there was a nice little panel of Quill's filthy bunk area him and Kitty get it on yes they do and then it, it cuts to like a mirrored panel of Gamora and her quarters where it's spot and clean and nothing's out of place basically there is nothing no personal effects no junk and her basically undressing and in pain and then basically her sitting there meditating alone in the dark
0: i like the parallel they did to how they built you know one page in the the panels and then mm-hmm. like you said they contrasted with the same same style with her so their looks of like ecstasy getting it on kind mm-hmm. of mirror you know her face of like this hurts getting undressed because i have all these scars and wounds
1: so then they're approaching alpha flight and rocket's like whatever we know them and then when they the, the look on his face when they start to attack him, the when oh, yeah. he's like,
0: ah! he's like they don't have anything that can affect us."
1: That was actually a really nice, drawn panel of Carol. Out to punch their ship yeah. but then they're like whoa you called us and she's like oh i'm sorry she's like i don't
0: recognize your ship it looks different
1: i like when rocket's like you lived on it yeah. group picks up Carol, and is giving her a hug and she calls him a gorgeous wood god and all that <laughs> and basically they're trying to get like the whole reason like why they're there and it's like them meeting the alpha flight each other and rocket cannot leave puck alone he keeps talking <laughs> about him to everyone
0: i think he's threatened by another hero of his size
1: and who's the chick who's green i don't remember her but she basically is like,
0: she's the head of uh, sword i think
1: so she's basically saying it's all this crap going on people might take us as an attack of opportunity i'm gonna watch the skies kind of thing they want to have a captain the captain talk and then it, we don't see that conversation between quill and carol but it cuts into it looks like peter's being very contemplative like something whatever that conversation that happened Affect really him, affected yeah. him and they cover a bit of it but I honestly don't think that's all of it
0: I thought it was also interesting to see Quill's kind of growth that he's you know now he's been the king of Spartax you know so he kind of has an idea of what it is to have to do these kind of things which yeah. kind of contrasts to previously where he was much more carefree and may not have so he kind of casts where he's going to fall a little bit in doubt and
1: Kitty basically comes as she's being nosy and she wants to know what's going on and so it basically covers how he lets them know that X-Men and Inhumans are at odds so you know, that covers her interests he fills her in on roadie dying kind of like connects the dots between tony and carol you know best friend lover you know he's going down the list and he's like well that's not the biggest thing the biggest thing is how this happened was because of thanos which adds another hint in there and this is where i was curious before where the guardians were gonna fall on this yeah and it's almost like a separate splinter might
0: happen. That's what I, that's what I liked about this, yeah. is that there is obviously yeah. going to be a split with Gamora and whether people think she should have been told or not told. But I like that it's not tied yeah. into the main one. That You know, it's, it's more interesting to have splits that happen along different lines, I think.
1: They're saying that Carol has Thanos in protective custody. The argument is going, well, if they're not willing to tell us... And we tell Gamora you will stop at nothing and destroy the planet to get to him.
0: Right, and then that will fuck everything up and he'll get away in the chaos. Yes, yeah,
1: because every time she's gone after him something has gone wrong and it will either there will be retribution from Thanos or, and that will cause the devastation to the planet or just some other event in that process. But on the flip side, if she finds out that we didn't tell her, it's just as right. bad in another way. And so it's a very interesting...
0: I think it also kind of, now that I'm thinking about their split a little bit, also ties in with the idea of prediction, of mm-hmm. judging mm-hmm. and or deciding things on things that haven't happened yet. They're basing yeah. all of this on what Gamora might do.
1: Pictures of him tied up, their conversation going through it it also shows how in sync kitty and peter are on some things like they might disagree and fight and bicker but they tend to know each other's train of thoughts as it goes the picture for the next issue Looks interesting.
0: Gamora versus <laughs> Captain Marvel. <laughs> oh
1: yeah.
0: That'll be interesting because they are of you know equal power levels. So their throwdown is gonna be epic.
1: <laughs> I thought it was really interesting setup. I thought it still had the humor. I definitely think it's one of those we're introducing another piece to this Civil War puzzle because it definitely is its own thing, I think. Especially based on the last Civil War issue where the Guardians definitely showed up with them. So I'm thinking in that one, Gamora probably has it found out yet or anything because they're running kind of out of sync and you're
0: catching up yeah i wish they had done a little better on the production lining them up like that but still i mean it's pretty good. There's a little bit where Kitty and Peter are talking to each other where you're right, it does really show them in sync, but it's that thing that Bendis does where everyone sounds alike. Still, mm-hmm. they sound interesting and good. They just, they don't have as much of a unique voice maybe as I think they should. But, you know, Kitty's blue jumpsuit kind of makes up for it. It's pretty awesome.
1: You like Kitty's fashion. I'm I do. Not, I do. I'm not really big on her It reminds fashion, me too.
0: of Spider-Woman's blue ski outfit that she wore.
1: I will say I did like Kitty's Star-Lord outfit. I liked her take on his outfit.
0: So, what did you end up giving this thing?
1: I gave it a good four. Lucknard.
0: I give it three and a half Garanthian unions. Mm. Don't know what those are exactly other than some weird space marriage. I'm curious
1: to see what happens with that too. I hope they go back. I believe you had something
0: for us. We're going to go over and check out Josie and the Pussycats in Afterlife with Archie number 10 from Archie Horror. Betty, rest in peace, chapter 5, Interview with the Pussycats written by Robert Aguirre Sacasa art by Francisco Francavilla. So this is a big issue actually. This is like a double issue of Archie, Mm -hmm. Afterlife with Archie and it's a takeoff an interview with the vampire.
1: That's what I was gonna say. Told yeah, you.
0: very much so. So <laughs> you find out that this is set before the zombie apocalypse and Josie has called a reporter in to talk to him to give him like an exclusive interview and she starts telling him this wild story that she was born in like 1906 and he's like, that's obviously a ridiculous lie because you're like in your 20s and she tells him, no, this is true. So basically it's like a, a story back in time of their origin that she was an orphan who was left on the, you know, doors of an orphanage and this feels very much like or mean. some like Dickensian musical almost. Poor little like Cinderella in the orphanage, like scrubbing floors for like some mean old lady. And I like there's actually, you can tell one of them is actually sleeping in a drawer, <laughs> not in a bed.
1: The person who's the Miss Hannigan part is a character from Josie and the Pussycat. It's the girl with the stripes. Miss Cabot? If you're a Josie and the Pussycat fan, you know, it's the girl with the skunk hair.
0: <laughs> they sing to like make the, you know, the workday go better, which is totally what reminded me of any Disney work song that they're singing and got the mean...
1: Alexandra. Okay. You. <laughs> there you go. That was her name.
0: So she's chasing them around with a belt and like beating them for singing and it's a pretty horrible place but she has this kind of sleazebag boyfriend who hears them singing and realizes they can make a lot of money off of them so he kind of turns them into this vaudeville flapper group called the Kebo Sisters. So you know they've got their like little flapper dresses and those little hat things. I don't know what you call those. hat. And they're doing their song and dance routine up on the vaudeville stage and they're pretty popular and they go on tour and end up going to Georgia in like the 1920s and 30s. And it doesn't go well for them there because one of their band members is African-American. So they get like a brick thrown through the window that tells them to go back to the jungle. And there's the clan outside with like a you know cross that they're burning. And they get ran out of town. They will be back later to deal with this. But for right now, they have to get the hell out of there. So they end up going to New York. They put on a show and they think it's going to be their last show. So they kind of give it everything they have. And there happens to be someone in the audience who sees them and is really taken with their performance invites him to his mansion, which kinda reminds me of like the great Gatsby. So they get there and there's all these fabulous party with flappers and champagne and chandeliers. Like it's really a very nice party. And then she gets invited back to his room for like a private meeting, and he basically to ask her if she wants to live forever and she does and that's when he realizes he's a vampire and he totally embraces her and bites her on the neck very like 1950s horror movie poster art and this whole thing. They also do a lot with like the way that they play with shadows across their faces that's kind of interesting to me. So she gets turned into a vampire and then she turns the rest of her band into vampires and they go on now every couple decades or every decade or so they like reinvent themselves as a different band. But it kind of takes you through, you know, their different bands that they been and you get to see some pretty neat scenes of them being like these total vampires like flying through the night against the moon and they go back to georgia to that town they got kicked out of and just slaughter everyone and then there's also a thing where they go on like a uso tour later so they entertain the troops during the day and then at night they're like vampires like fighting nazis which was not something i expected to see (laughs) you know josie and the pussycats take off book but it was kind of cool the other thing i like about this is when they shift into their vampire forms they don't just look like themselves with like fangs like, they're turned into monsters when they do that. Their faces change. Kind of like the way in Buffy, when they transform into mm-hmm. vampires, kind of similar to that. Except they're naked for some reason when they change into vampires, but...
1: In silhouette, it seems, almost. Yeah,
0: that is true. But if you look at the picture, so there's the picture of them flying across the moon, and they look they look naked in that. Then there's the picture of them killing the clan, and they look naked there.
1: They don't want blood on their cool rock That is true. Clothes. That is
0: a good point. Blood is difficult to get and out.
1: You forgot to mention that they were a quartet, and one left because she started hooking up with the sleazy alexander boyfriend and got knocked up and married or something and then that's how they got to the trio
0: that's a good point actually i was a little confused by that part at the end because like i said this is a long issue it goes through kind of a neat little vignette of them doing you know stuff through like the 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s you know it's kind of cool they end up actually at the tate Labianca murders the charlie manson murders you know mm-hmm. they go in and there's like all the murders and stuff written and blood on the walls and they realize that that is the work of the guy who embraced them so they haven't actually met up with him again but they're they're terrified of him so that's when you get the woman who used to be part of their group who left is now like a really old woman in her i don't know 80s maybe who has cancer who comes to josie and tells her she knows what's happened to them and she wants her to you know, make her a vampire because she'll be young forever. And Josie tells her, well, I can make you live forever, but it won't fix you. You know, all the pain you're in right now will never go away. She ends up actually yeah, straight up murdering the shit out of her, which she sees as like an act of kindness, kind of debatable whether it is or not. So I thought that was interesting to see just how old they actually are, because you have the woman who was the same age as them from the same orphanage and It really contrasts with how young Josie is. When they were a teen band, they'd been to Riverdale, they like it there, so they're flying back to go to Riverdale to do a concert again, and that's when, you know, on Halloween, everything goes bad with all the zombies, so they're getting ready to fly into Riverdale and they get told to, like, divert their plane, that there's, like, a riot going on down there and they can't land there, and they're like, well, screw that, we're going to Riverdale, we want to see what's happening to our town. So they land and now they're going to be, I guess, in the middle of the zombie stuff that's going on to It was interesting. It was a lot of things I was not expecting from a Josie and the Pussycats tale here set in the afterlife with Archie. But I like that it's expanding yeah. it past zombies into vampires also. The vampires were around before the zombie plague. It was interesting. I thought the art was really pretty. I thought the writing was good. I can't say enough about the art style.
1: I thought there was a lot of nods and throwbacks to, like you said, different pop culture things that were... Some of them were very blatant, others not. Yeah, but I did really like the artwork. It was movie poster pop art. You know, it really worked. I didn't... Only- only Josie and the pussycat S thing is the fact that they're a band and that's their name. Right.
0: I'm glad to see them back on a little bit more of a regular production schedule. We'll see how long that lasts for, but as long as we're getting them, I'm, I'm happy with it. So I think I would end up giving this four Private Jets.
1: Four. He tasted bitter to me. Moving on. Circling back around to Marvel and also no surprise again for my pick. I have Rocket Raccoon and Groot number 8. Marvel Comics Part 1 of the bad southern pun trilogy georgia of thief written by nick kocher and art by michael walsh colors by michael garland this was hilarious i adored this issue it basically i feel like it sums up almost at least the very beginning how i think rocket represents a lot of general readers
0: with the blah 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 where there's droning on and on <laughs>
1: Yeah, and just like how he kind of sums it up almost fourth, but not quite fourth wall breaking. He's basically summing up what's been going on so far from Rocket's kind of point of view. I think it definitely helps people who might aren't as like hardcore readers of the series to know what's going on so far. Carol's giving clearly like a speech and has everyone who's on their side so far you know he's predicted and everything goes blah 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 right and it keeps going and rocket is basically having his own conversation with people about puck again <laughs> yeah,
0: i love that when he's talking to blue marvel that he distracts him because there's like part of the plan where she's like and most definitely make sure not to do the following and he's like did you just say my name like <laughs> i missed that part of the speech
1: he talks about what's going on with wolverine no that's sasquatch no she's off doing her own thing wolverine's a girl now i think that's a common thing that some readers would have it's stuff like that where he basically keeps making comments about some of the changes to the Marvel universe, and I think it's really funny because I feel like you know a lot of people would have questions like about with right. stuff like that. What's the difference between the mutants and Inhumans thing? That's another <laughs> thing I thought that was like fourth wall, but not right. you know Blue Marvel. Oh, I thought you were the Tick. <laughs> All that, yeah. So basically, there's a whole thing where it's just blah, 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 blah. And then Rocket calls Dibs on something that where she, with his not paying attention, she was saying was one of his predictions involved a baby powder truck being stolen, which leads to something else that she does think is important. So they're going to ignore the crime of the stolen truck. And that's what he calls Dibs on. No, 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 I got that baby powder thing. <laughs> And also, by the way, I like how Groot is drawn in this one. Take note of that, the Guardians <laughs> team, because this one is better. And Carol basically, she's like, why is that important? Rocket gives his full on reason on why he thinks it's important. and like, all of that. And so he's just like, giving her a spiel, and she's like, I know there's some secret self-serving plan. There's always one. And she's like, whatever, but I'll call you back when we need you.
0: I love the part where she's like, I know there's a secret self-serving plan, but just go do your thing anyway.
1: Gives <laughs> them a ticket so they can fly on coach, so so there's Groot and Rock sitting in front of in the middle between them in coach and Rocket trying to explain why he knows what's going on That he knows who the bad guy is who's going to steal this uh, baby powder because he ran he was his first bounty that he was trying to chase and I love he so he has this little flashback panels where he's super buff and badass like
0: a little like Rocket Rambo
1: the bounty got away and he it was like an, super embarrassing to him and he feels like he has to like capture him to justify it but I love the ongoing joke so every time he's describing his muscles the guy who's sitting in between them is like why would you go into so much detail about your muscles like <laughs> you don't pay attention even though he's clearly telling the story to this random yeah. stranger because no one's talking to you <laughs> why does someone have a spaceship that's fueled off of baby powder
0: and I like too that the guy is like you know I can see you I know that's not what you look like and I liked yeah. that, that repeating of that joke throughout the thing that whenever he tells a story he's always super buffed and everybody's like we know yeah. who you are rocket that's not which you look
1: like that was really funny yeah and then Groot keeps interrupting him he's like you're completely ruining the momentum of the story so they land in Georgia and they go to pick up from Merp a rental car and who has a woody station wagon as a rental <laughs> anyways but apparently that's what they got I like how Rockets like first like, said coach station wagon he's like it's like Is alpha flight low on cash <laughs> because they get all like the really junky stuff so then they're hanging out in front of this baby powder factory see him and they're like okay we're gonna catch the guy and then weirdly Gwenpool like shows yes. up and then he's like Clark yes so and so they have to deal with her she goes through her whole weird intro being weird Gwenpool thing
0: yeah, I haven't been reading much of Gwenpool, but I don't know. I think I would get sick of her maybe on her own. But as an addition to this, mm-hmm. she's great.
1: I didn't like the ones where we try to read her on her own. This was okay. I still find her out, like, put some pants on. Well, that's just- how
0: she gets her superpowers, right? She says she she got yeah. to this world, wanted to be a superhero. So she took off her pants and put on a mask, and suddenly she was.
1: Again, this one also does a lot of the breaking of the fourth wall, which Deadpool is very known for, and Gwenpool clearly sometimes mimics that. But the whole, like, not ever having cellulite ever part she mentions that and then again she goes which the shooting and hitting things and not looking is pretty cool but not nearly as cool as the not having cellulite
0: part <laughs> i love when she's like playing around with the tropes where she's about to do ridiculous stuff and she's like you hey, don't you know don't worry i'm the hero and then she does the thing and it works and she's like see mm-hmm. totally worked
1: and then she catches rocket calling himself a raccoon but then he corrects himself that he's not a raccoon because yeah. <laughs> she captures the guy that they're there to get so he's gonna go murder then she cuts their gun in half and then she tries to attack Groot. She kicks him twice, punches him once. It doesn't work. Finally hits him with a sword, and then he gets mad. Mad Groot picks him, her up and just basically uh,
0: stomps her. <laughs> well, I like when she does her split kick to kick him. You, like, you see, like, Rocket go flying off in one direction, and then, like, Groot yeah. is not, like, affected at all.
1: Yeah, he just stands there. He has her pin, and she starts complimenting Groot. She's <laughs> saying she likes his branch hair, and he gets all, like, yo know, he <laughs> Like, I like her now. Yeah, Rocket gets all mad. But then they turn around, and their guy escaped, and while they're noticing that their guy escaped, she escaped. Going you know, later, nerds, and rocketing you know, on double flark. I love that sword so, is
0: stuck in Groot for like the rest of the entire issue.
1: Yeah, there's one part where he's driving a car, it's still sticking out. She tries to get it out later, can't get it out. Chammy,
0: alien hillbilly. <laughs> yeah
1: alien hillbilly who has no nose who who has a fake nose on but needs baby powder to get the hell out of there comes home his wife's mad at him by having it he just keeps saying the same thing to her which at first seems very odd you're like what is going on with him is he broken did the hit to the head from them like mess with him
0: I think he just doesn't know English very well
1: so he goes to the bathroom and in the bathroom clearly he has some sort of weird alien tech phone he's talking to another one of his kind and he basically says he didn't get the powder so he needs another way to get off planet you know he thinks that his wife suspects something and they keep mentioning Reeve
0: well I think we meet him at the end
1: they keep saying they're not wanting to get caught by him and so he's like hurry make me get me off of here and then he goes I think she's up to something that says, Earth women are difficult. Did you apologize and let her know that you hear her?
0: <laughs> yeah, he may only know how to say a few things in English, but, uh, or in Earthling, you know, but he knows yeah. the important ones for a relationship. And he's like,
1: I did that ten <laughs> times, it only makes you <laughs> angrier. He's like, uh, or something? <laughs> I'm like, uh. So then we get another cool panel of Muscle Rocket kicking people as he's trying to explain to Carol how they thwarted the baby powder.
0: I guess he was really impressed by that split kick, because that's what he says that he did to her. It
1: repeats the joke where she's like, that's not what you look like. It's like, I just wanted to paint you the full picture. <laughs> and in the background, Groot with the sword in him is, is fishing, which I think is funny. So she basically tells him to get back to New York because there's swamp there and there's little monitors in her background of people fighting and stuff like that. Little saucer aliens shooting parts of New York. There's also
0: a panel of Blue Marvel getting his ass kicked, which I think is probably because he didn't hear all of the briefing <laughs> from Rocket. yeah. yeah.
1: And so she's basically saying to get there, but Rocket doesn't want to end because to him, he wants to get that bounty as a sense of fulfillment. The
0: one that got away? Yeah, the
1: one that got away. So she, then she like, calls him on it again. So your self-serving thing is, you haven't finished that yet. And he starts telling her that the battery's dying. He's losing signal. She's like, it runs off a mini arc reactor, you idiot, basically. <laughs> he breaks it with a rock and he's like, I don't think she's on to <laughs> <Yeah>. us. <laughs> But we have to get Chammy first. Yeah, Rocket. It's just basically Rocket himself. And so they're driving around this Georgia with a drawing of that they did in their station wagon, <laughs> showing it to like barbecued hillbillies with like, and they're all like, "Don't profile us. We don't." And then some guy's like, "Hey, I know who that is." Groot is driving, all hunched over. Katana out of his like pectoral muscle. Gwenpool shows back up again with guns holding up to them in their back seat. This is where she tries to get her sword back. It doesn't work. She ties them up. She starts taking off and Groot easily breaks out of the bonds that she tied them in. that's what she's like, dang it, note to self, don't underestimate the tree. <laughs> Which is very true. And then Rocket goes full on raccoon on her. (laughs) Go trash panda. (laughs) Back at Chammy's house. He decided to give his lady a pineapple. After that his alien cohort told her to buy him something. He put a bow on
0: it. I guess She's like what is this?
1: Clearly she's upset. She keeps on saying that she's upset. That he won't talk to her. All he does is the same thing. So the other alien guy on the side of the transmission. Is basically saying. Here's some coordinates. Go there. It'll get you off planet. And he's like oh you're a lifesaver. That's when he's told that there's a pink girl. And a raccoon fighting on the lawn. The transmission cuts off as he gets that information. It says, Keep your eyes open for Reeve. If he's found out I'm on Earth, he might know where you are. And then as it ploops out, it shows the guy he's been talking to is all tied up and he's telling someone in the darkness, I did everything you said. You know everything. And then, like, this weird hand comes onto his head and it's like, You haven't told me everything. Shows a bunch of information pictures or something exploding out of the top of his head. And it's like, I don't know who that is. Well, I think
0: that's Reeve. I thought that was. Was a really good way that like at the end is so different in the the art style and the mood of the last page, is completely different to the rest of the book. Because the the rest of the book is all zany, very humorous, very lighthearted. And then at the end mm-hmm. there's this horrible looking alien ripping images out of someone's head and trying to kill people. So it's a nice tone like of contrast that they each do into one feeling with the book. And then that last page hits harder because it goes contra to the tone of what they've what they've set up.
1: It's like some weird, burned version of that race with no noses.
0: Yeah, that's true. He does look like... because he's got the same nose thing.
1: There was a prediction that something was going to get stolen. Yes, it was prevented, but it kind of maybe made a bigger problem, which will also echo... In the next one we're about to cover. But I think it kind of did. It's like because he didn't get the power to take off. He had to do this other thing. Now there's something bigger coming to earth. It's like it's that whole. Just because you stopped one thing. You could have made it worse. I think that. Is building up to a point for Civil War because it's also echoed in other parts in the universe that are coming around. Which I think is a little bit more subtle in this issue. But I think because I read the two issues back to back that I, I was able to see that. Right. So I think that's interesting. I gave it four blah blah blahs.
0: I will give it four split kicks. So, still, like you said, in the Marvel Universe, we have Miss Marvel number 10 from Marvel Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Takeshi Miyazawa and Adrian Alfona, colors by Ian Herring. So, like you said, this is a Civil War tie in, and this is dealing with Kamala. The thing that I actually really liked about this issue, I liked it when they do the flashbacks in Miss Marvel. That seems like a new thing that they started doing, starting with the, the thing in like Pakistan. So this is her as a little kid, like the art style of her as a little kid, that it's very almost like cartoony, like from like newspaper page rather than a comic book and it's art in a way. Mm-hmm. So this is where she first met her friend that they go to the you know open house basically. And, you know, like all little kids, she's so totally embarrassed that her parents are going to be there and talking to her teacher. And they see that there's this one little kid who is kind of sitting in the corner and, you know, he's got, like, dirty clothes on and, you know, obviously he hasn't had, like, a bath in a while. And a little urchin over there that no one wants to play with. He's had a lot of family trouble and, like, I think he lives with his either his aunt or his grandmother now because his parents were, like, on drugs and he got taken away from them. But I thought that was a lot to pack into just a couple panels. And then the thing that I really liked about it is it shows the con's reacting strongly from their faith that this person needs help so they you know they're going to pay for his field trip and then they tell kamala to go over to him and make friends that you know no little kid should be sitting by himself being ignored like that and she complains that he's he's like dirty and stinky and nobody likes him and they're like don't talk about people like that you don't know what they've been through you go be nice to him you know don't don't say things like that like you could end up that way just as easily only by you know the grace of god that that's him and not you so i thought that was it was really nice to see the inherent goodness of these people i like seeing that presented
1: the messages out of miss marvel can be very good
0: i think she's a really good vessel to be able to tell complex stories they set her in jersey city which is sort of economically disadvantaged and she's a minority and she's a woman so there's lots of points of view that they can bring out and they have lots of muslim characters and they span the range in being super devout like her brother to not being, you know, as devout like uh, I think her father is, like, not as quite as religious. And they have different points of view on things. Like, her brother thinks different things than her parents do. So it's nice to see that there's not just one monolithic point of view coming from them. And they make friends because, like, he notices that Kamala has some jewelry that you remember from the previous arc was, you know, taken from Pakistan by her grandmother. And he thinks it's really pretty, you know, and I guess the other kids probably make fun of her that it's weird. He likes it, so they're friends. And then it cuts to the scene of him in the hospital with her sitting next to him. So you get kind of a real sense of how long they've known each other and that this is more than just her as a superhero. That this is her friend, one of her only friends for a long time. So she has to sit there and watch him suffer in the hospital from the vision that she had. The vision that they had that was there was going to be like a bombing at their school. And this is kind of like you were saying, the idea of when you stop one thing, other bad things can happen. They stopped the bombing and put the person in jail. And her friend thought that that was completely unfair, that he got arrested for something he hadn't even done. So he tried to bust him out of prison, but ended up basically blowing himself up in the process. So Miss Marvel is really upset that you know they could see one thing that was going to happen but why couldn't they see what was going to happen to her friend when he's lying in the hospital because of her actions like directly her actions have caused this which is really painful to her to have to to realize and I also like that Miss Marvel is coming into her own That like in her series we see kind of her like with her self-doubt but when she shows up in other series especially with other younger heroes everyone really respects her and looks up to her i think she's really doing well for herself you know that she's coming into her superhero role she's becoming more of an adult as she has to deal with things that are not don't have such easy answers and kind of has to make her way through this and i think eventually we're going to see a split with her and carol which will be really significant Mm -hmm. because that is her absolute role model and we kind of see maybe the beginnings of that here with the Carol Corps group that she has with basic Becky or whatever her name is. The girl with the red hair and the freckles. Yeah. So they're arguing because they don't they don't know that Miss Marvel is friends with the kid in the hospital. So they're talking about how like it was his fault, you know, that he chose to broke the law and what he got was kind of a natural consequence of what happened and they don't feel sorry for him. And Miss Marvel is saying that she's, you know, seen more of what this predictive justice does, and she doesn't want any part of it anymore. So she's shutting it down. And that's when they basically tell her, you know, you're not going to do that, that this is important. Bust out their, like, power armor and start brawling with each other. And that's when Carol shows up and gives them the kind of voice, basically pulls the two kids apart and tells them to stop fighting And that they need to keep, you know, to carry on with the mission because it's important. And if they give up, then everyone who's died or been hurt, you know, it's been for nothing. And that they're saving a lot of people. So I don't know if Miss Marvel is buying that or not. She definitely has her reservations and doubts about it.
1: I think it must have been meant to be a term of endearment when she came down and said, hey, Junior right to miss marvel but i think at that time it probably felt probably very condescending at least i don't know i felt the timing of her calling her that was very interesting Hmm. the one line i I actually saved this i wrote notes it says the part where kamala is like look this predictive justice stuff isn't working i mean the predictive part is working but not the justice part i think this really sums up a lot of it It says we're not creating fewer victims of a crime we're just creating different victims yeah and I think that really sums up what is going on. I really like that Kamala is realizing that. and But I don't think Carol's listening to her. Like, because Carol basically just brushes her off and says, keep doing it. I don't think she realizes that Kamala doesn't want to do it. Like, I think that Carol isn't paying attention enough to people around her.
0: I think she thinks Miss Marvel doesn't want to do it because it's hard, not because she has a moral problem with it that yeah. she's like giving her the like buck up kid and stay the course you know all of that but not yeah. addressing the actual causes of why she thinks it's wrong it's
1: very brave of her to bring it up and say I think you're wrong like like I agree with you this other part was good but there is a problem we need to look at and Carol's just not looking at it
0: there's a part in the first Harry Potter book where they award house points to Neville at the end you know he didn't just stand up to like the bad people he stood up to his friends when they, when they were doing wrong and here that's yeah. what Kamala is doing like it's easy to punch a. Bad guy in the face. There's no questions Mm. about that. But when she has to go to her idol, the person she's based her look, her everything on, and tell her that Mm. she's wrong to an adult for a child, that's, you know, this is a big deal. And I also like that the person who's concerned with justice is a Muslim. I like that they present that idea that justice is an overriding concern of hers, like deep down, like baked into her from her parents. So I thought that was interesting to me. She wants to basically, I guess, kind of prove Carol wrong. That she wants to have a crime that they can't predict that happens.
1: She understands how Carol needs proof, and so she's going to make proof. Right. Not really prove her wrong, but I'm going to give you proof. I'm going to give you something that you cannot just brush off like you just brushed.
0: So she goes to uh, the Canadian quarter, like the Canadian ghetto of uh, Jersey City, and meets up with the Canadian ninja hijinks who had the tank before and, you know, like had to spend the night in jail because of that so they are going to be planning a a crime together basically one that uh, carol did not predict and then kind of at the end you have bruno he starts crashing and they have to you know wheel her out him out of the the hospital room and i really love that last panel where she's standing there and she's worried about her friend that is some great great face acting on kamala and then the grandmother crying in the background like it's a very real scene
1: and the Spider-Man toy fell off on the ground. Yes.
0: Which I think is interesting because he has, like a, he has a toy of people that she knows. She knows both yeah. Spider-Mans. But it kind of shows you that these people have iconic reach into other people's lives in their universe. I give this four and a half gold bracelets.
1: I really liked it. I was super proud of Kamala. I really... I like how she handles it and comes across the ideas on her own. The drawings and the face acting was amazing. It builds on... Like I said, it built on what Rocket was showing. And it's just another aspect and argument to the Civil War conflict. And so I think it's really interesting. I gave it four. Plasma armor.
0: We're headed off into to space for some more space shenanigans in *Star Wars: Han Solo* number three from Marvel Comics, written by Marjorie Liu, pencils by Mark Brooks, inks by Dexter Vine, colors by Sonia Oback. So this one is the continuing story of Han Solo in that death race in space where they're trying to go to these different planets that are pit stops on the race and pick up different spies. So I've read other stuff by Marjorie Liu. Like she wrote Monstrous, and I like this much better than Monstrous. I think the tone for Star Wars is so important, and when you nail it, it makes everything else work so well, and when you screw it up, you, there's no salvaging the book. And she can nail the tone for Star, for Star Wars and... And for Han Solo, I think very, very well. I'm really liking her writing this book. And it also has some weird stuff that you can tell, I think, is her influence. Like that blue alien, who's kind of like the wise last one of uh, her race. Mm-hmm. I think that that's definitely, you can see that's an influence from from her. I think that's probably her addition to the, the book. So, there's all the Imperials have captured all the racers. They do some, you know, tense, like, back-and-forth negotiation. Very Han Solo, giving them some, some lip, you know, and the Imperials not having it. And that's when, like, the basically the heads of the race show up. These, like, mysterious aliens are all cloaked, and they're kind of floating in these like, throne-type things that they're flying around on. Jawa. Yes, very jawa These are, like, the badass jealous
1: they're like the parent jealous what we saw before we were kid jealous no. <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> the the ones that we know are like the backwoods <laughs> planet at the end of the universe version. These are much more impressive. So they basically tell them that, you know, they control all the fuel here and the Empire needs fuel. And it would, it would be sure be a shame if, you know, suddenly they couldn't get any fuel for any of their ships. They basically agree to let the race go on. And like the guys tell them, they're like, look, everyone dies in the race anyway. So, you know, what does it matter to you if you kill them now or if they race and die and we get to have our entertainment? So they agree yeah. to let the race go on. Everyone runs to their ship to start their flight. There are these little glowing balls uh, that are following Han Solo around because they like him, I guess. Yeah, but they're alive because the Imperials get annoyed by them and they're gonna blast one of them. And the blue alien is like, "You can't do that. They're they're alive. So they're they're sentient creatures. Mm-hmm. But they're following Han Solo either spying on him or because they think he's interesting. So you meet the spy that they got from the previous planet that Chewie has like drugged. So he's on his little on his bed and he can barely move. And he's telling them that there has to be a traitor. That someone had to give them the information and that one of the people that they're gonna pick up is a traitor and is gonna try and kill. Everybody and they're like, "Well, how do we know it's not you?" He's like, "Well, you don't. <laughs> you know, there's nothing I can do to convince you I'm not the traitor." So whether, I don't know if he might end up being the traitor, but it seems weird that if you were, you would be the one to suggest that idea to them. So they're doing their space racing stuff where it kind of reminded me of speed. Like in this section of the race, it's like a, an endurance race. Like you can't fall below a certain speed and you have to drive your ship for like hours and you know basically days on end with no sleep. It's kind mm. of the nature of the challenge. And I like, there's a panel they did where they're showing like the progression of time of them navigating all this stuff, the way that they make it kind of look. To me, it kind of reminded me of like the window of the Millennium Thousand like you have that kind of circle that has a falcon in it and then you have like the rays kind of going off like their windows do showing mm-hmm. the the time i thought that was a really nice panel that was a good way to show the progression of time like with a clock
1: they so posted that fan. i love that page
0: Yeah, it's really creative. I like when you get layout that does more than it needs to. You could have conveyed this whole thing with a standard nine panel blocking, just showing the progress of time if you wanted. But by doing it this way is very creative and makes it really interesting to look at. This book is trying. It's not just coasting on the fact that it's a Star Wars book and a Han Solo book. Like it's actually trying to be good and it's succeeding. So they're doing their, their space race stuff. And one of the guys that Solo saved ends up basically saving the Millennium Falcon, dragging the Falcon, like shooting it with like a grappling hook and towing it like across the finish line basically mm-hmm. so then they're on this this other planet and they meet up with this mysterious figure who's the other is he the other spy i think he's the other spy and it turns out to be this kind of like white like saber-toothed tiger guy who wants to i guess kill is it chewbacca that he wants to i don't know he pulls out a gun and he's gonna start shooting somebody that seems to me more like a personal vendetta rather than the betrayal person because they're not like haha i've got you rebel scum now it's like oh it's time to settle some old debts so i think he's probably not the traitor but still dangerous to them because he has unfinished business with them. And he looks pretty cool.
1: He does. He looks super cute and cool at the same time, but cuddly. I know you're trying to be a tough base guy, but you look like a big cuddly cat. So come here.
0: Bad kitty. The art in this is great. It looks like Harrison Ford, the impression of harrison ford without putting tracing paper over a animation cell and doing that the dialogue is exactly the way it's supposed to be it's just that right level of snappy and witty and kind of sarcastic chewy's awesome everything all the parts you need to make this work they do really well
1: i love how han's drawn he's amazing i mean a lot of the star wars ones have been on point this one is very good and there's a lot more like technical bits and stuff like that that are really well drawn
0: yes great looking spaceships
1: but yeah, that one panel that goes through all the time, just having been on a long trip myself, <laughs> I like it shows like the progression. At one point, he's like chugging like a bottle of water.
0: I give it four Millennium Falcons.
1: I gave it four
0: Mauer Evens. So those were the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Color Nerds. You can follow us on Twitter and at Instagram. You can take the you can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading nerds.